Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashams in Johannesburg, South Africa, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we focus on the 2017 CAF Champions League, with the group stage underway this weekend. We look at who might make it to the quarterfinals. And as the story of Ghanaian Sully Muntari receiving racist abuse in Italy has dominated the headlines in African football, we ask if FIFA is doing enough to combat racism, and we hear from fans in Ghana. It is very painful. If I was Sully Muntari, I would always walk away till they sat down and organized themselves and stop the racism. Also, analysis on the English Premier League and a look at the story that the format for penalty shootouts might change. But first, the group stage of the CAF Champions League begins this weekend with 16 teams in it for the first time. That's four groups of four, meaning that will be a quarter-final stage for the first time. Let's take a look at the groups. And uh, Solomon Group A has two teams from Sudan. That's Al Hilal and Al Mareik, plus former champions Etoile du Sahel of Tunisia and Ferroviario de Beira of Mozambique. A difficult group, this one. Yes, uh, Steve, indeed. Having two Sudanese team, <laughs> I think the Sudanese football fans would be wondering what happened. You know, instead of having uh, them in, in two different separate groups, so they can improve their chances. But we have a. Uh, Former champions, Etolda Sahel uh, of Tunisia and also uh, Mozambican club, Ferroviera de Beira. For the first time in a very long time for uh, a Mozambican club to make it to this stage. And I think these are part of the benefits of having a 16-team uh, group face. So it is going to be uh, a very difficult you know, group stage for Beira from Mozambique. It's going to be a, a group where I told us a hell. I see them going through out of this group. And uh, then we have to see a home derby uh, between Al-Hilal and Al-Mirek. And that would determine who amongst them is going to get out of this group into the quarterfinal stage. Sure. Now, Group B is very interesting. We have Caps United of Zimbabwe there for the first time, Al Ahly Tripoli of Libya, who played their home games outside the country in Tunisia. There's USM Algier of Algeria and five-time champions Zamalek of Egypt, who were runners-up last year. But Zamalek looked to be a club in crisis as they keep on firing their coaches and are way out of contention in the Egyptian league. So how do you think that Zamalek will fare here, Solomon? Zamalek is definitely going to come into this phase knowing that last year they lost the final to uh, Mamilo de Sundowns and it was a bitter memory for them. But coming in here, they won 5-3 on aggregate against uh, Nigeria's Enugu Rangers. They, they're coming in with a, a lot of experience behind them, getting to the final last year and also getting to... I lose the way that they lost. The fans were not happy. Quite a lot happened. But they're going to be coming in here knowing that, look, uh, we want to get to another final again. We want to be able to make sure that this time around we get to the final and also win. They have a strong team. They, they're going to really uh, have to compete with Caps United, who has uh, won against Tipi Mazambe in the last round to get to this phase. So you cannot just right off uh, Caps United. And then we have uh, USM Alger uh, and uh, from Algeria, 
And when an Egyptian team is playing against an Algerian team, you know, with their style of play being similar, uh, it's going to be very difficult for Zamalek, especially in a group where there are other two uh, North African teams uh, playing the same style of play and also Caps United from Southern Africa. So I, I hope uh, to see them do well and, and, I, and I'm sure they're going to get into the quarterfinal and we see how they take it up from there. Right to Group C, where the defending champions Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa could find things tough as they take on AS Vita of DR Congo, who they played last year. Also there, Esperance of Tunisia and St. George of Ethiopia, who are there in the group stage for the first time. I think those Sundowns-Vita clashes will be very interesting. I remember last year, uh, Mamelodi Sundowns lost to AS Vita in the round before uh, the group phase. But then AS Vita was disqualified because of some player problem. And then they got the opportunity that is Sundowns and, and played in the group phase of the Africa Champions League and got to the final and won the trophy and, uh, you know, created history. And so it's going to be a game between two sides that are trying to show uh, who is superior, trying to show that, you know, look, Mamelodi Sundown, we qualified and we won the trophy because we... I have what it takes, we're good enough. But for AS Vita, they will go into the game uh, with a mentality of, look, you took our opportunity last season, even though we feel we are better, but we are going to show you in this game that we're better. So I expect to see a great game. Uh, I expect to see a game between two sides that are equally uh, very good, playing free-flowing football. Uh, the Congolese are, are really good, and they've been consistent also uh, in the last few years. And uh, we hope to see how they can also compete with some judges from Italy. Ethiopia and experience of Tunisia. Uh, you cannot write off experience of Tunisia. So these both teams also would have to compete with them if they really want to get out of this group into the quarterfinal. Yes, and finally to Group D, eight-time champions Al-Akhli of Egypt, Widad Casablanca of Morocco, former champions, 2008 runners-up Cotton Spore of Cameroon and Zambia's Zanaco. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting uh, match-up. We have two teams from Northern Africa. We have one from Southern Africa, and then we have one from West Africa. Uh, traditionally, Al-Hali, they are to compete. They would do well. And I see Cotton Sport also uh, coming back strong uh, with also knowing that Cameroon is uh, hosting the next, next Africa Cup of Nations. So uh, you would expect that Cameroonian clubs and Cameroonian teams generally would be going out there uh, to really showcase Cameroonian football and also getting the back backing uh, from uh, their football association, that would go a long way in really helping them and and, and do well. So it's going to be a great 2017 uh, Africa Champions League. Well, thanks a lot, Solomon. We'll be keeping a close eye on the 2017 CAF Champions League group stage here on Planet Sport Football Africa. Now, Ghanaian Sully Muntari has been in the headlines a lot since an incident two weeks ago where he was initially banned for one game after he protested against racist abuse in a game for his Italian club Pescara. Muntari was booked for dissent after asking the referee to stop the Syria R match against Cagliari, claiming that he was being racially abused. 
Muntari then walked off the pitch in protest, for which he received a second yellow card and a one-match suspension. An outcry followed with black British former player Garth Crooks saying that players in the Italian league should go on strike unless Muntari's one-match suspension was withdrawn. Well, the ban was rescinded, so the protest wasn't necessary, but then Muntari spoke out saying he would walk off the pitch again and again if he continues to receive racial abuse. Well, our reporter in Ghana, Erasmus Kwao, spoke to football fans in Accra to find out what they think about the Suli Muntari issue. This incident again brought the huge problem of racism in our game to the fore. And the manner in which it was handled also showed just the lack of understanding that both officials, including the referee, and also the game in general has of how to handle this. So I, I think that it's good that it happened. Perhaps FIFA can now look at it. It uh, can look at its protocols again. Um, we, it's not what we need to raise awareness, but I think that it's best to make use of circumstances when they come. And it's good that Suleiman Tires decided to make this more than just an incident on the pitch. He's making this a course, which is good. So should black players around the world unite and boycott matches when such incidents happen? That, that would be a last resort, I think. What they need to be able to do is to make unified statements. I I was a bit disappointed in hearing black players offer different alternatives to what would have happened. I think that a unanimous voice um, would have sufficed. But I think that we'll eventually get to the point where when it happens to one black player and it is horrible enough, black players around the world should be able to say that, look, until the various football associations, until FIFA, until UEFA, until the various regional bodies take a firm stance against this, we are going to boycott a weekend's game. And that would be a pretty significant chunk of European football. It is very painful. If I was Suleiman Montari, I would always walk away till they sat down and organized themselves and stop the racism. But what he did, I'm giving you 100%. What does this mean? Every day there's campaign against racism and, you know, going on and on, players are affirming and all that, but still this particular case has come up. What does it mean? Anyone that, whether you are a player, you are not a player, whenever something, something this, this thing happens, let's all walk, join together. We mobilize ourselves to demonstrate. Yeah. So you support the call for black players to come together and then unite I and really, fight? I really support, 100% sure, I really support it. The campaign, yeah. Henry and Co. and never the player, African player, black player, trying to do something about it. But you see, the... It's, it's not actually about the b- black player. It's actually about the Western people. Uh, there are some Western countries, th- take for example Italy, it's something that they need to work on. It's, it's not about the black player. And you see, um, sometimes these racist things actually is not out of being a black player or uh, kind of um, hatred for the black player. Um, sometimes, you see, uh, you can be playing against a team uh, maybe in their home ground, and this black guy, African player, is actually doing something uh, uh, extraordinary and is having a problem for the other side, the, the, the opposing team, to you know make an impact. Uh, they try to do something. The fans try to do something. But when it comes to what they can do and to stop it, for me, I don't think there's anything the black world can do about it. So what are your thoughts about how this particular case was handled yeah. by the Italian Football Federation, you know, all the people involved. Yeah. I was once in Vietnam, I played in Vietnam, I once had such a thing like that. 
it's it's there. You can't take it away from them. They might try to make it look f- free and fair on the field of play, but when they come into their room, they they know what they do. For me, they shouldn't have done gone up to that extent. Uh, but for me, all I would say for we African players is just laugh at them. Football fans in Accra, Ghana, speaking to Erasmus Quell about the issue of Suleiman Tari, a Ghana international receiving racial abuse in Italy. Now, FIFA say that they will take appropriate action with this issue through their disciplinary committee, but critics say that FIFA has been weak in dealing with these issues. Well, I spoke to BBC Africa's Farai Mungazi, who's been here in Zimbabwe, and I asked him if he feels that these matters are being dealt with firmly enough. Remember, initially, Italy's Syria A disciplinary committee agreed that the supporters' actions were deplorable, but said that its guidelines meant it could not impose sanctions as only approximately 10 supporters were involved. Well, I can't think of anything more ridiculous than that, because... Um Just one person shouting racist abuse at another person is one too many. So the fact that um, there were 10 people is neither here nor there. I think it, um, you know, it brings out the the kind of attitudes towards racism uh, that football and sport and society in general really um, can do without. People think that because it's not uh, the whole stadium shouting abuse, then it is okay. No, it isn't. Uh, One person is one too many. And I think uh, the Italian football establishment, the authorities there, I think they should all hang their heads in shame um, over the Suleiman Tari incident because uh, they had an opportunity to show the whole world um, that um, they don't condone racism. But I think they failed miserably and they should be ashamed of that. Well, FIFA says that they will take uh, appropriate action here. But if you look at their history and the fact that FIFA has set up committees, but this problem does still continue, can we trust FIFA to eradicate this issue of uh, racism in football? I'd like to say yes, we can, but I don't think we can because of the fact that in the past these incidents have come up and FIFA has done nothing. I think the only way that FIFA can show that they mean business is when they start to enforce stiff penalties on clubs that do that, on clubs whose supporters do that. Because unless supporters see that their actions are detrimental to the progress of their own club, the club that they purport to love, you know, unless they see that, they are, they are not going to stop. I think other people have suggested that why don't you dock clubs' points if their supporters do that? And look, if you are fighting relegation, and you know that every point matters, you're not going to shout racist abuse at somebody because that might lose you a point or two. And until it starts to hurt the clubs, until it starts to hurt the supporters, I don't think it will stop. Now, Suleiman Tari says that he would walk off the pitch again if this were to happen to him again. Uh, Black British ex-footballer Garth Crooks had proposed uh, that uh, players should boycott matches if Matari's sanction was not scrapped. Uh, In the end, it was, so that didn't uh, happen. Could the solution lie with players themselves to tackle and solve this issue? Yes, in a way, players do have um, a measure of power um, you know, when it comes to this issue. And I think walking off the pitch is one way. Because if a club, say for instance, if there are say, six black players on a field, you know, two one, on, on one team and four on the other side, and if one of them gets abused, if all six players walk off the pitch, I mean, that will concentrate minds, won't it? But I think that's just one side of the story. I still think that 
you have to sanction the clubs when their supporters do that. Because, look, supporters don't like being relegated. Supporters don't like their teams, you know, sliding down the league table. The only thing that the only thing that's, that's going to cause that is when points are docked. And um, it's curious that when uh, some experts have suggested docking clubs' points, um, FIFA hasn't done anything about it. They haven't even commented on it. Um, the uh, Italian Football League, uh, Serie A, the authorities there, they haven't said anything about it. But I think it's very clear that they don't like the idea. Why? Because it hurts. Well, I have a message. Racism also hurts. That's BBC Africa's Farai Mungazi suggesting that clubs should be punished for the racist behaviour of fans by having points taken away. Well, we're asking this week on WhatsApp and on Facebook, what do you think about this? Is FIFA doing enough to tackle racism? As this has come to the fore once again with the issue of Ghana's Sulimantari receiving racial abuse in Italy. Give us your thoughts. Send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Or go to our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa. Tell us, do you think that FIFA is doing enough to tackle racism? We have heard already, in fact, from Musa Mane in the Gambia, who says, guys, I want us to talk about this issue of racial discrimination in football because it's getting out of hand. It was Samuel Eto'o to Kevin Prince Boateng and now Sully Muntari. I believe FIFA is not doing enough to remedy it. Uh, those comments from Musa Mane. Tell us what you think. Send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, last week we featured an interview with Leicester City and Nigeria midfielder Wilfred Ndidi. Although he's still only 20, Ndidi's been a regular starter with the Foxes in this, his debut season, since signing in January. Last Saturday, he scored Leicester's first goal in their 3-0 win over Watford. And our European football expert Stuart Weir believes that Ndidi's become one of Leicester's most important players. So we were keen to know your response as we asked, what do you think of Ndidi's contribution to Leicester this season? To Facebook first, and Kasim A. Oscar in the Gambia says his contribution is superb, scoring a couple of long-range goals. I think more of his talent will be seen next season if he keeps on being consistent. Sana Jaune is also in the Gambia, and Sana says he definitely lifted Leicester's spirits from that relegation scramble. Although he doesn't fill the gap that N'Golo Kante left, he's helped them a lot. I'm going to rate his performance 8 out of 10, says Sana. On to what's up, and Mohamed Ndure in the Gambia thinks Ndidi has filled the gap left by Kante. Ndidi has contributed greatly to Leicester's season, both in the Premier League and the Champions League, says Mohamed. I think he has filled the vacuum left by N'Golo Kante. He's playing good football and is scoring goals, especially the fantastic goal he scored against Stoke City, which is my goal of the season. He has a great future ahead of him, says Mohamed. Khalifa Sanyang in China says Ndidi is one of Leicester's star men this season. When he came into the team, people were wondering whether he'll be able to handle the intensity of the Premier League. But I think he's doing a wonderful job in that Leicester midfield, says Khalifa. He may not cover ground like N'Golo Kante, but he scored some crucial goals for them. Dembo Manjang in the Gambia is full of praise for the 20-year-old. Ndidi is a fantastic, capable and important young player for Leicester, says Dembo. With the proper handling, I believe he can become a great achiever for Leicester, Nigeria, Africa and world football at large. 
McDonald in Cameroon thinks Ndidi has made a promising start but has some way to go yet. I think he's a good prospect, says Donald, but I'm hoping to see more from him next season. Olatunde Adeleke in the Gambia says, I only watch Arsenal and I don't usually watch any other team playing, but I saw him playing against Arsenal recently and was impressed by his performance and that made me agree with Stuart Weir. All he needs to do is to be constant and remain reliable and that will keep him being an important player at Leicester even next season. To Cameroon now, and Sonny Armstrong says Ndidi has been of great importance to Leicester. He's the perfect team player who goes all out to win every available ball. The first half of the season was crazy because Leicester missed N'Golo Kante, but since joining, Ndidi's been a perfect replacement. He is still developing, and next season we'll see another level of his game. And Nsonyi continues, I hope he stays at Leicester and builds up his career because I'm sure bigger clubs would come in for him. Absolutely, Nsonyi. Ebrima Cham in the Gambia hopes Ndidi will sign for his favourite team. Oh yes, says Ebrima. Wilfred has been a revelation for the Foxes since his arrival. He's outstanding in that position on the park, defending in a mature way. That's why his name has been circulating in the British media, linking him with a big move to one of the top four in the league. As a Man United fan, I'd love him to switch to Old Trafford to replace an ageing Carrick. I hope Mourinho will consider him, considering he's also a fan of African players. Well, we'll see if that happens uh, or not, Ebrima. Alfred Mdimba in Malawi thinks Ndidi has made a solid start but says that he will do better next season. And Ansamana Sonko in the Gambia agrees that the young Nigerian's best days are still ahead of him. He is absolutely a good defensive midfielder, says Ansamana. I think he's contributed a lot to Leicester City's success this season. He's such an important player for them too, and I think he has lots ahead of him in the future. And one day he can become one of the best midfielders in Africa and emulate his fellow countrymen like John O.B. Mikel and J.J. Okocha. Well, high praise indeed there from Ansumana. And Karamba Darbo in the Gambia is equally enthusiastic. Sure, I agree that Ndidi's performance since joining Leicester has been absolutely unbelievable. If you look at his dribbling skills, says Karamba, his pace and his power to me, he's Leicester's best player this season. I wish him and Leicester all the best. Well, thanks so much for all of those comments. They're always fantastic to hear from you. So again, this week we're asking, in light of the Sulimuntari racism issue, do you think that FIFA is doing enough to combat racism in football? Go onto our Facebook page. You can post a comment there. That's Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Once you've downloaded, you can listen to the show anytime on the app and access past programs in our archive. Also, you can listen on our website, planetsportfootballafrica.com. There's pictures of the whole team up there too, in case you're wondering what we all look like. And our Twitter handle is at planetsportfa. Well, now to the English Premier League. And depending on when you're listening to the show, Chelsea could already be the champions with a Friday night fixture against West Brom. 
Well, Arsenal fans' hopes of a place in the UEFA Champions League next season were boosted with a win over Southampton on Wednesday night. Our European football expert Stuart Weir joins us from the UK. Uh, Stuart, uh, how do the three points that the Gunners picked up affect the race for the top four places? Well, as we look at the battle for the top four places, it's certainly Arsenal who've had the best week, beating Manchester United at home and Southampton away, both games that they might not have won. It now leaves them ahead of Manchester United, but still three behind Manchester City and four behind Liverpool. So it does look hard to see Arsenal making it into the Champions League next season. And this keeps the speculation about Arsene Wenger's future on the boil. Last week, Arsene seemed to dismiss talk of him staying at Arsenal either as director of football or as manager working under a director of football. So I don't think we're going to know until the end of the season, but Wenger does seem to be saying, I either stay as manager or I don't stay at all. It was Sanchez who got one of the goals for Arsenal at Southampton, and that was his 20th goal of the season. And he's the fifth Arsenal player to score 20 goals in a Premier League season. The previous ones being Ian Wright, Thierry Henry, Robin van Persie and Emmanuel Adebayor from my beloved Togo. And as we look at the situation of the top four, the games coming up are Liverpool, away to West Ham and home to Middlesbrough. Manchester City, home to Leicester, home to West Brom, away to Watford. Arsenal, home to Sunderland, home to Everton. And Manchester United away to Tottenham, that's a tough one, away to Southampton and home to Crystal Palace. So the fight is still on for the places in the top four in England. And you've got a few interesting facts there, Stuart. Well, last weekend, Liverpool drew nil-nil with Southampton. And that's the fourth time the two teams have met this season. Twice in the league, twice in the League Cup. And Liverpool did not manage to score in any of the four games. We discussed a few weeks ago whether Leicester City were right to fire Claudio Ranieri. Now, in Ranieri's last 10 games, Leicester picked up five points. In Craig Shakespeare's first 10 games since that for Leicester, they've picked up 22 points out of 30. So it seems a vindication for the Leicester City management. Steve, we mentioned last week how Chelsea always seem to win the league when there's a general election in the UK. Well... Bolton Wanderers this week gained promotion to the championship, playing and winning a home game in the Macron Stadium. Now, wasn't there somebody else called Macron who won something this week? And a sad mention for the Bournemouth forward, Lise Moussi, who headed his first goal for the club. The only problem was it was at the wrong net and an own goal. There's an interesting thing going on with FIFA at the moment. They're investigating Mino Riola, who is the agent who brokered Paul Pogba's move from Juventus to Manchester United. And he is alleged to have pocketed personally $50 million over that transfer and may even own a stake in Pogba, which, of course, is against FIFA rules. We also know now that Real Madrid will play Juventus in the Champions League final. And I've got an interesting statistic for you. Atletico Madrid, in all their appearances in the Champions League, have scored 102 goals, 
Quite impressive until you realise that Cristiano Ronaldo himself has scored 103 Champions League goals. Incidentally, it is reported that Ronaldo is getting a bonus for helping Real to reach the Champions League final, a bonus of $3 million. Well, that's a nice bonus. Uh, Not sure if he needs the cash too much, though. Now, something very interesting. Uh, Penalty shootouts in football could be transformed to make them fairer under new plans being looked at by UEFA. The sport's European governing body is already trialling a new way for penalties to be taken in decisive shootouts. Now, instead of teams alternating spot kicks, UEFA is considering a new system similar to the tie-break in tennis, and it's being tried out at the ongoing European Under-17 Championship. Uh, Tell us more, Stuart. Well, as you say, Steve, currently in a penalty shootout, the order is determined by the toss of a coin, and the team that takes the first penalty will always uh, be taking a penalty before the the other team. And statistics show that the team going first is more likely to win. And the new system follows the tennis tiebreak of having the first team take one penalty, then the second team taking two, and the alternate in twos from then on. And the difference is simple but important. Because under the current system, if all penalties are scored, the team taking the first penalty will never be behind. But under the new system, if all penalties are scored, the lead will change every two penalties. Um, And the aim of the new system is to make the outcomes of penalty shootouts perhaps less predictable by taking away whatever advantage there is in going first. It'll be fascinating to see whether the statistics on the trial bear this out. Well, considering how nerve-wracking these penalty shootouts can be, perhaps that is a fairer way of doing it. Well, thanks very much, Stuart. Uh, That's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashams in South Africa, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a Passion for Sport production.